0: great vacation. Thank you guys so much for caring for us and praying for us as we were gone. Uh, But this is where we like to be on Sunday. This is where we want to be. And so um, I do want to thank Rick and Christian uh, just for how you handled the word the past couple weeks. We are so richly blessed. So richly blessed. Um, So we got to we got to watch um, you guys two weeks ago In the car, driving to Georgia, and just worshiping with you, worshiping with our church. And got to uh, catch the last week's service uh, in the middle of the week this week. Um, But thank you, guys. And also, just kind of want to bring a couple updates before we dive into today's message. But the first one is really some fun news. Every year, if you're new to Trinity, every year uh, in February, March... We take two to four weeks um, to emphasize our mission as a church. And so two to four Sundays, and we theme that and different things. But um, we were just recently, actually right before uh, our vacation, we landed two of our guest speakers. And both, I'm just so excited to have here on a Sunday. So one Sunday in February, we'll have Vala Volodymyr pastors a church in the Ukraine, and he's a dear brother, and you're going to really enjoy hearing um, the gospel preached from that perspective of suffering. Um, secondly, uh, Juan Hernandez from Colombia uh, will be here preaching, and just these are men that we look forward putting before our church, and uh, so excited about that. Then one other announcement or update I want to bring to you. I think we've got a picture. Uh, this, is, this is our dear Alex. This is last Sunday, yeah. So last Sunday, I snapped that from from my chair, all right? So we were actually, we got back Saturday night, but continuing our vacation, we, uh, we were able to surprise them and just show up at Crosswalk uh, last week. For those of you who don't know, Crosswalk is another local church. It's in the north side of Titusville. Alex Bowman um, pastors that church the last two years. He was on staff here for about 12 12 years. Ben was here for about 20 years. So they are dear friends. So it was just great to be able to show up and walk in. But here's what we didn't know. Alex was just being kind and introducing me to the church and just saying some, some kind things. But he then transitioned and shared that he, he's, he's going with us on the Columbia trip here in a couple weeks. Please be praying for us. Um, and so he's letting the church know that we're going. And, and that's a Grace Partnership trip um, here in a few weeks. And then he announced to the church that they are in 2024, early 2024, they are joining Grace Partnership. And so, wow, how fun is that? And I'm just kind of sitting there going, is he saying all this because more spontaneously? And so we talked afterwards. And no, that was the plan to announce that last Sunday morning um, to the church. And we just happened to be there to celebrate with them that. So how fun is that? Mm, But I love it. And I love to be here. And I get to preach God's word this morning. So we're going to be in Matthew 13. And we are in a series, it's a bit different, I know we've said this a number of times, we, we like to preach through books, but we've felt the need because of the age of the church, how long we've been a church, 27 years, and also the number of new folks in the church that we needed to take some time, and we've been walking through this series, we're week 11 of 13, so we've got two more to go after today, um, titled Trinity Community Church, Doctrine, Distinctives, and Direction. And I hope that you're making connections on how this series has progressed. In particular, last week, Christian preached on serving. And this week, we're preaching on giving. And you could tie those two together and call them living in light of the gospel. And we could preach serving and giving. Or we could call it worship God in serving and giving. Before we get to the sermon, I want to tackle a couple, well, Six, myths or misunderstandings as it relates to giving. Myth number one, the younger generation can't or won't give. Myth. Let's just straight up call it a myth. Well, I, I want to thank some of our younger people. I personally know of some of our Gen Xers who sacrifice in their giving. Some of you have money in Bolivia, Colombia, Africa, Some of you have money in the concrete pillars that are going up in that church in Ukraine. Young people, don't buy the lie that giving is something you do when you're older or when you have more money, because you'll never have more money. The more money you get, the more opportunities you'll find to spend it. And so it's a myth. I'll I'll give when I have more money. Giving is a heart. It's not an income. Okay, so giving is worship before it's anything else. It's not about how much you give. You, you might not be able to give as much as the person who has a career and it pays six figures. It's not about that. It's, it's about all of us considering what God has given us and how to steward what God has given us. And for some, that'll be a lot in terms of the large income, but that's really kind of a little. Right? In perspective. For, for some, it'll be a little, but it's a whole lot in terms of that income. Does that make sense? So that's a myth. Secondly, to, to our guests, we, we often reference this, but we just want you to know this is not a bait and switch. You haven't been invited here for us to then try to get after your pocketbooks. We actually want to release you. Now, it is worship, so sometimes we overstate it. Don't give. Well, we want to say, like, as guests, I mean, please feel free to give. But we also want to tell you that you're our guest, and you're not under obligation to give. Um, So we just want to say to you, thank you for being here, to all of our guests. We're so thrilled that you're here. Three, we don't preach on giving often. But hear me, I'm not shy about preaching on giving, Okay. Um, two reasons. Uh, one, it's biblical. So we're going to preach the Bible. And so sometimes I've heard pastors say, I never preach on giving. I can't do it. And I kind of would respond, That's, there's a, I'm concerned there. Um, there's a good chunk of the Bible that addresses our hearts as it relates to what we do with money. And there's no avoiding that. One famous man we like to quote around here once said, you cannot serve God and money. Jesus. (laughs) Secondly, I'm not shy about it because I love the gospel. Okay, so I have no problem at all standing here saying, let's give. Because it doesn't personally benefit me anything. All right, I'm not... It would be weird for me to preach on giving and for that to somehow affect my income. (laughs) How weird would that be, right? Um, It doesn't benefit me. It's not why we preach on giving. We are a gospel-driven church who has received much. He gave us his all. We want to see the kingdom of God advance in our day, so we want to be generous givers. Four. Some are here and you've been burned by a previous church or you've watched Christian TV for a nauseating five minutes. Be careful not to be ruled by what is wrong. What we see is wrong. And in so doing, being ruled by what we recognize and see, that's not right. And then ignore what we know is to be true. Be careful in that exchange. Don't take your cues from what is obviously not biblical to then toss aside what is obviously biblical. Right? Five. For those who might say, I don't make enough money to give. Let me just say, are you sure about that? Don't usually share illustrations that, um, yeah, about Kim and I, unless it's about our latest fight, all right? That's usually usually how I like to roll, but when Kim and I were young, <laughs> starting out, I made $9,000 a year in the ministry, right? And uh, we, I also, on the side, mowed grass in exchange for free housing, and Kim cleaned off office buildings, and she was a substitute teacher, which... Basically, all that to say, in some total, we were dirt poor. (laughs) We were so poor. Um, And in our first two years of marriage, uh, two years of marriage, I probably would say we ran the air conditioning about five times. Because we had a heart, our desire was, because we have to give. It was more important to us to be givers than it was to be comfortable in some of those early days. Our giving was small. It was, you could, you could maybe feel like it's insignificantly small. That's not the point. It was that there was a heart desire to worship the Lord through giving. And so, um, don't let materialism rule your heart. It is, it is so hard. We, we think we need things. In truth, we, we really want things. Six. For those who say, I give to this or that organization, that's wonderful, that's cool, but would you consider giving to your local church as well? It costs money to do all that takes place here, and there are always more missional opportunities than there are finances. And so what a challenge it is. Come to an elders' meeting. We practice open elders' meetings. You can come. And uh, what a challenge it is as we have to say no to this and to this and this and say yes to that. Um, That said, if you would stand with me and Rick is going to read Matthew 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Yeah. Father God, we ask you, give us a heart, that heart of joy, to buy that field. Help us to see it. Help us to see the glory of our Lord Jesus in the words that he is bringing to his disciples, both then and now. Lord, this joy, that field, that treasure makes a loud statement about the gospel. You, Lord, are worth it. You're worth the sacrifices. All this world says matters. Lord God, would you help us? Help us not simply um, to to maybe think in in terms of transaction or in terms of just, it's just, Lord, help us. It's not simply about giving something. It's about our hearts, our hearts of worship to our great God. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Matthew 13 is a chapter filled with parables and explanations. And many times, Jesus here or in other places, he explains what the kingdom of God is like. This is one of those places. So point number one is, what is the kingdom of God? Jesus often referenced the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. They're one and the same. He healed. He delivered. He showed up, right, saying, the kingdom of God is here. You heard last week how some of the disciples heard those words and they began, what, jockeying for position. Oh, the kingdom of God is here. Where do I fit in, right? And I want to make sure that I'm recognized and noticed in that in that kingdom and Christ unpacked for them and unpacks for us what kingdom living actually looks like. It looks like Christ who came, what, not to be served, but to serve. And so his reference to the kingdom is not so much about a spatial kingdom as much as it is, well, that's that's what they were thinking or they would have imagined He's referencing his overall rule and his reign. This, is, the kingdom of God is here. Is is well, and Christ is the king of that kingdom. You see, sin in the garden corrupted the kingdom of God, the kingdom that God created, and Christ, the king, came to recreate, to reorder, to we sang it, to redeem. To restore all that sin corrupted. To restore the glory of God on the earth today. A genuine Christian is a new creation. Living in a redeemed life. Under the rule and reign of the king whose kingdom we now belong to. He restored all that was corrupted by sin through his perfect life, through his death, through his resurrection from the grave. And so when he came in human flesh, he let people know the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of heaven is here. All that you enjoy in Christ this morning, church, to the redeemed this morning, All the forgiveness, all the mercy, all the faithfulness, all the faith that you place in his sovereign rule, every blessing, all that you are in Christ is because this kingdom has come in which he rules and reigns. Ultimately, that's what the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is. It is a saving kingdom. It is a redeeming kingdom where the king rules through serving, through dying through sacrifice welcome church to the kingdom of God but we need to know something else about the kingdom of God it is it is what we reference you 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 hear if you're here regularly I'll explain it a little bit but it is a already and it's a not yet kingdom it's an already kingdom where you can grow and you can worship and you can serve the king in his gracious rule and reign. And it is a not yet kingdom in what we sang of this morning and and Justin exhorted us from Thessalonians this morning. It's not yet in that it will one day be consummated by Christ in his return. It is already in that the cross has reversed the curse of sin in our lives. So that now people, you're here in the room this morning. You've been set free from addictions, from sin, from, from, and you've received the forgiveness of sin. What, what, what has happened here? Well, the kingdom of God has come to you. And he's reversed the curse of sin in your life. But it's also, that's the already kingdom right now. It's a not yet kingdom. It's a kingdom that we await for, where the curse of sin will be entirely completed, reversed. We still live in a sin-cursed world. You know that. We experience the effects of sin every day, whether that be in our living rooms or across the world. All the pain, all the aches, all the war, all the suffering that we see— tells us this is an already kingdom, this is a not yet kingdom. It is a not yet kingdom in that though today we continue to live in a sin-cursed world, there will be a day where we will live in a not yet kingdom, the kingdom of God forever. And so I say to you again, welcome to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, As we await the final consummation of that kingdom. That's the setting to verse 44, to this parable. The kingdom of God is like. And that's point number two. What is the kingdom of God like? And I just simply love this. Appreciate just the, it's not a difficult text (laughs) that we preach this morning. I love this that Jesus the infinite son of God comes and he seeks to help us grasp something so grand, so vast and yet he does so so simply. Something that we can connect with and latch onto. What is the makeup of his kingdom? How will the son of God in human flesh describe this kingdom? And I'm amazed at how much he gets done in just two sentences. One verse, two sentences. He tells us the kingdom of God is like a treasure. I'm curious, how would you describe the kingdom of God? What do you hear when you hear those words? The kingdom of God is like a treasure. What, what, What do you hear in that? Jesus is saying that this kingdom of which he rules has value. It has great worth. It's like a treasure hidden in a field. Now, Hollywood has made billions of dollars on that theme. Billions of dollars on that one theme. Before there were pirates in the Caribbean, there was Matthew 13, 44. Disney simply borrowed from Scripture to create stories. Countless books, movies, stories have been told of hidden treasure where pirates will duel to the death to find that treasure. Or a college professor will leave the university, the professor of archaeology, and travel the world and risk his life to find the treasure. Right? National treasure, the goonies. I just aged myself. Oh, brother, where art thou? Treasure planet. I could go on for a long time. Every movie about a heist. Billions and billions of dollars are made off the one theme. There's a hidden treasure. We, the viewer, are invited to go on a thrilling adventure with the the, the hero and find the treasure. Well, before Hollywood ever was, Jesus unpacked that the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field. And I think the question for us today is this, do you believe it? I mean, not do you believe it mentally, like you would say, yeah, I believe that. but, But do you believe it in such a way that it functions in your life, that it gets worked out in daily living? Do you believe the parable to be true? Not just in your head, but do you believe it? Are you completely convinced that the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field? Because if we believe that the kingdom of God is like that treasure hidden, then our lives will show evidence that we value. We place a value on that treasure. Which leads us to number three. What will one day, what what will one do? Excuse me. What will one do upon finding this kingdom of God treasure? Let's read it again. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. What does this man's actions tell us? That he has sees great value in that treasure, which is the kingdom of God. So much value that he has to find a way to gain it. He will separate himself from all that this world says is valuable to then purchase that which is truly valuable, right? He knows that he's found the greater tre- treasure. So much so that he says, the, the scripture says, he joyfully goes and sells all to buy the field. He's, what scripture is showing us here is that he will joyfully rid himself of all the things that this world says matters, that has value, That I might purchase that which truly has value. It's a parable of renouncing all that the world values. It is a otherly kingdom mindedness because he knows that treasure is far more valuable than that treasure. He looks crazy to this world. It makes no sense to his neighbors. What is this guy doing? His neighbors who don't know the value of that treasure. His neighbors might even call him a fool. Oh, but if they only knew the greater treasure that is buried in that field and they didn't do what this man did. If they knew of that treasure and they didn't do what this man did, They're the fool. Church, how foolish is it, your sacrifice to give? How foolish is it to this world around us? If you look at it with the world's glasses, you are foolish. Just think of all the things you could have bought with that money. Just think of the better stuff you could now own had you kept it for yourself. But the man here says, now there's a greater treasure. Church, do you know the kingdom of God that has redeemed you and rescued you from the miry clay? Psalm 40. Do you live aware of the treasure that is the kingdom of God? Do you embrace his gracious, faithful rule and reign? And do you see it as such value that you would sell out for it? It reminds me of Paul to the Philippians. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of their surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish." In order that I might gain Christ. Paul is saying to the Philippians, which is a letter, by the way, that's filled with the word joy, rejoice, rejoice again. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Right. That's what I mean. Literally, he says, right, it's filled with this joy. He's saying, look, I have found the greater treasure. And with joy, I sacrifice all. I've suffered the loss of all things. Count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. It's here that I want to tie a big bow around last week's message on serving and this week's message on giving. The two are not distant. They're very close. Giving is not an event. It's not a moment in a church service where we say now is the time to give. It is that, but it's more than that. It's not a religious thing that we do in some way to earn something from God. It's it's not give to get, like the prosperity gospel would tell us. It is the giving of our resources, whether that be our time, our energy, or our finances. And in doing so, it is giving in such a way that says something. It says something to the world, it says something to our own hearts. What does it say? It says he is worth it. He's worthy. That's what that treasure is saying. He's worthy. This is why we can't separate giving and worship and serving and worship. How many of you were here last week and you heard from Fidel and Charita? Tarita? Yeah, that was pretty amazing. So uh wow. Um if you weren't here last week, uh, we uh, Andrew, thank you. We skinnied that the service down to that 16 minutes, I would encourage you, go watch it. Go watch it. Fidel and Charita, uh, uh they're tired. They're tired. They've been, they've been running this race for a long time. And uh, they have given, and they have given, and they have given. There are so many things they didn't say last week. Um, but they are ready, ready to settle down. And yet they hear the Lord calling them not to less service, but to more. Do you know what that says? What they, they never referenced Matthew 13 last week, right? But do you know what, what was shouting at us last week? He's worth it. it. It shouts back to us. That's the man and the woman who knows there's treasure in that field. And I'll sell all to buy that field. You know what it says when TJ and Lily pack up their three children? If you guys are watching right now, God bless you guys. We love you dearly. When they pack up their three children to then live in a isolated Muslim village in the middle of nowhere, Senegal, uh, to reach people who have never heard the gospel, to learn a a new language. I I, I struggle to even say the name of the language. Say it louder. Jelfony. Thank you. Jellophony, exactly what I said. <laughs> what is that saying to us? When you pack up your three children and move across the world to a village who's never heard the gospel, a Muslim village and all of that, it says the kingdom of God is worth it. Hallelujah. Shouts loudly at us. And as we watch Stephen and Casey Klebs sell off all of their possessions, scale all those possessions down to some suitcases to then move across the world to an unreached people to learn a language, to live with little means, to who of us wants to go around trying to raise our own support? Do you know what they're saying? Actually, their last Sunday is the last Sunday of the year, right? So the 31st will be their last Sunday with us. We'll be sending them out. You you know what they're saying? The kingdom of God is worth it. There's a lot of sacrificing going on there, and the kingdom of God is worth it. So now, I'm not shy to preach on. Let's give to God because he's the greater treasure, and don't let it be lost on you. Though you and I might not be called to Africa or India or Bolivia You and I are called to a group of children. They're meeting right on the other side of that wall. And to serve there and to give in a church with community and to do so with joy. What is that? What are you doing? You're buying the field. You're making a declaration. The kingdom of God has value much more value than the stuff of this world, I renounce, I separate myself there that I might buy that field because he's worth it. And I preach to you and I preach to myself because my heart is no different than your heart and it wants more of what this world says is valuable. Work hard to prepare to teach on the other side of that wall because the kingdom of God is worth it. Go to the homeless ministry. Be a part of Love Inc. Be a part, yesterday, of Daisy Fest. Lead in a community group. Serve on the hospitality team, right? When it's 110 degrees out because it's July, and you're outside those doors, and you're sweating bullets, and you're thinking, I volunteered in November. What was I thinking then? You know what? You know what? It shouts to all of us. The kingdom of God is worth it. It's worth it. Serving is worth it. Giving is worth it. This sign language team here puts in more hours than you know preparing each week. They don't show up just on the fly on Sunday morning and do that. What is that? Kingdom of God is worth it. Worship team, tech team shows up here early every Sunday while you are probably rolling out of bed. Why do they do that? The kingdom of God is worth it. Many of you get that, and you get the treasure thing that Christ is saying, and you hear, you hear things about Casa de Esperanza, or you hear about Colombian pastors and their need and our desire to take them on a retreat to serve alongside of them. And we as elders have so many missional initiatives that we never even bring to you. We could bring them before you, but we need to be careful so as we, we seek to not overwhelm the church in all the opportunities that we have to give. So we have to be careful and we would seek to steward the missional giving of the church so that we 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 don't support every missional opportunity that goes our way because we want to support those that we do support, we want to support them well. So there's a lot of tricky conversations that go into that. But you respond and you give and here I am preaching on a sermon on giving and as I said, I'm not shy in asking you, let's give. Why? Because the kingdom of God is worth it. It's worth every sacrifice. And many of you have sacrificed, and so have we, and I preach to myself, my material self, and I've been I have to be reminded as well. Living in the kingdom now, living in the midst of all the sin and the suffering and the lust of my own heart in the already kingdom of God. This life is not the main event. I want to give my life away with joy in worship of Him because He is worthy. He is worth it. And I want every dollar to be given for the glory of God, for the advancement of his kingdom on earth, that one day more people might be there in eternity, singing around that throne, Revelation 5 and 7, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Salvation belongs to our God. Glory and honor and power belong to his name. Because on that day, the treasure will be fully revealed as the treasure that it is, that he is. No longer hidden in the field, no longer veiled. And you and I, all those who are genuine followers of Christ, will be there. And with great joy, we'll be saying to each other, every sacrifice, every late night, preparing for the children's ministry Every sweat, drop of sweat poured out outside those doors, every bit of our serving, every bit of our giving, we'll be telling each other, that was worth it. That was worth it. Number four, Matthew 13 and 2 Corinthians 8. Just gonna make a couple quick comments here. Let me just read 2 Corinthians 8, one through five. Paul says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, don't you wish you had a commentary on those few words? More information, please. Just know this, in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of what? Joy. And their extreme poverty, so we're not talking about okay let's give out of our excesses out of their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part for they gave according to their means as I can testify and beyond their means of their own accord begging us <laughs> earnestly can you imagine Paul give us the opportunity to give for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected. But they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. You know what Second Corinthians 8 says? It says the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field. They are that man who went and sold all. Because they saw value and they bought the field. You can tie Matthew 13 and 2 Corinthians 8 together. One being a parable from our Lord. Jesus, the other being a letter to the Corinthian church from the apostle Paul. And while much could be said, I only want to point out to you the simple fact: there was this joy. There was a joy in the parable. There's this joy here in the letter. And I want to ask us friends: have you found this joy? A couple things to quickly consider: if you haven't found this joy, this sermon is not an attempt to guilt you or manipulate you into giving. That's not what we're doing here. But I also would be neglectful if I didn't ask you and even challenge you, have you found this joy? If not, don't respond today out of a sense of guilt because guilt will not sustain a lifelong heart to give. Guilt won't produce some sort of newfound joy. (laughs) It's not what guilt does. I just want to ask you to consider Will you make this a serious matter of prayer? Asking the Lord, Lord, my heart is not joyful to give. Will you help me? Secondly, would you consider how we have so much more to accomplish for the kingdom in our days? Would you consider an increase to your giving? And thirdly, would you intentionally remind yourself of the joy that it is to give to the Lord for the advancement of the kingdom? So that we're not just mindlessly, we say this all the time, we don't, don't just mindlessly give. We don't mindlessly drop that in there or do something digitally. But Lord, with joy, I want to give to you for the advancement of your kingdom. As opposed to maybe offering him something of our leftovers. After all else is done, let's see if I've got anything left to give to the Lord. There's no faith in God in that. Lord, I want to give to you and I want to trust you to provide. I want Philippians 4, 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And so when we say worship the Lord in your giving, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about treasure Christ, value him. He's worth it. That is to say, worship him. Number five. Briefly and the worship team can join me and that is the gospel in Matthew 13 know this Matthew 13 is a parable it's not literal there wasn't a literal treasure dug out and hidden in a field and the guy sold and he bought the field and it's a parable for us to connect with, to to help us to grasp really what is the glory, the grandness, the splendor that is the kingdom of God. That it's of greater value, that it's more precious than anything in this world. Jesus is not here saying you can buy the field. But you do need to know that it was purchased It was purchased. Christ lived the parable. He, Hebrews 12, for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. He went to the cross in joy. He is what? Buying the field. He is purchasing Your redemption at the cross of Christ. Buy the field today, followers of Christ, because it shouts, He's worth it. All that Christ has accomplished, all that He's provided at the cross, all that the kingdom of God represents in a verse in two sentences shouts. Not quietly whispers, but shouts, all your sacrifice, all your serving, all your giving, shouts, He's worth it. Glory be to His name. He's worth it. Let's stand together. Let's lift our voices. Let's sing to Him those truths.